morning. In 1982, 60,000 fans piled into a stadium in Madison, Wisconsin. And it didn't take long for them to realize that what was happening in front of them was not good. Their team was not doing very well. And in spite of that, every once in a while, as the game went on, the entirety of the stands would just erupt in, in excitement and cheering. And the people would jump to their feet and scream. Even at times when there was nothing taking place on the field, there would be a timeout or play would stop. Every once in a while, even in the middle of play stopping, people would jump to their feet and they would scream in excitement. And it took people a while to figure out what was going on. But you see, the people that were there in the stadium, many of them had brought their radios or their Walkman. How many of you remember those? They brought their Walkman. And they were listening to something that was taking place 70 miles down the road. In spite of what was happening in front of them, they were excited about something that was happening down the road. And that was the 1982 Game 3 of the World Series in which the Milwaukee Brewers were beating the St. Louis Cardinals. And so the people were excited because their attention wasn't on the discouraging, disappointing circumstance in front of them, but on something that was much more exciting and better that was down the road. I think there's a lesson in that for every single one of us here this morning. And no, it's not that when the preacher's boring, you can podcast another more exciting preacher and be excited about that. No, but every single one of us has been in that position where our current circumstance may have us a little bit discouraged, but we need to realize that We need to focus on what's down the road, what lies ahead, that God has a plan, that something better is coming. This is exactly where the people were in Haggai chapter 2. If you remember last week, we began a series in the book of Haggai, and we looked at chapter 1, and we saw that the people had been back out of Babylon. They've been out of captivity for about 16 to 18 years now. Now, when they went into captivity, God promised that after 70 years, I would allow, you, allow the people to return. And so they've returned after 70 years. It was in that time, right before they were exiled, that the temple was completely destroyed. Solomon's temple, it was beautiful. It had giant cedar planks that were holding it up. It had gold lining on the walls. And now it's been destroyed. And they initially began laying the foundation, rebuilding the altar, and then work stops because their priorities were out of place, and through, through Haggai, God calls them on that. They get their priorities back in order, and they start working on the temple again. But it isn't long before there's some discouragement. We've all been there, discouraged, disappointed, disheartened, maybe even depressed. At times you feel hopeless. Have you ever been there? You ever been there? I think we all have experienced that. And so God, again, sends Haggai to speak to the people and to deliver his word to them so that that they could overcome their discouragement. So this morning, as we look at this passage, we're going to look at how do we overcome the discouragement in our lives when it comes, because we know it's going to come. We know we're going to face it. What steps can we take? What has God laid out? What example can we learn from the people in Haggai's day about how to overcome discouragement? And continue the work of God. Because they were at a point where they were saying, this is pointless. Why are we even trying? It's no use. We should just give up. And God says, no, I've got something for you. Don't give up. Be faithful. Continue the work. And I will bless you in a way that you could never imagine. Let's look at Haggai chapter uh, chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. 
on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through Haggai the prophet. Okay, so it's been about one month since Haggai first preached. A little bit over one month since he first preached. He preached on the first day of the sixth month. Then on the 24th day of the sixth month, we read at the end of chapter 1, the people began work on the temple. So it's only been about a month since they've been working on the temple. God says this. He says, Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and to the remnant of the people. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Doesn't it seem like nothing to you? What we have going on here is it's been about a month since the people started work and they're discouraged because things aren't coming along like they planned. Their circumstance now is different than what they expected. And there's a number of reasons for that. You kind of have to know a little bit about what's taking place in the Jewish calendar, the Hebrew calendar at this time. This is the seventh month of the year, which is about late September, October for us. And it's in the seventh month of the year that they actually have a number of festivals and feasts and days of celebration that they observe and they wouldn't be allowed to work in addition to their normal Sabbath. It starts on the first day of the month when they celebrate Rosh Hashanah, the new year. It's a day of rest. It's a day of celebration. On the 10th day is the Day of Atonement, when they celebrate the symbolism of God removing the sins of the people of Israel. It's another big festival. No work to be done on that day. And then just a few days after that, the 15th through the 22nd, they would have celebrated the Feast of Booths, or the Feast of Tabernacles. This was a time when they remembered God bringing them out of Egypt and when they lived in tents. They would remember the plagues that God sent on the Egyptian people and how he delivered them out of slavery. They would remember the parting of the Red Sea and how they walked through on dry ground with a wall of water on the right and a wall of water on the left. They would remember the cloud and the pillar of fire that led them through the desert. And when the cloud and the fire moved, they moved with it because the cloud and the pillar was God's presence who was with them. So they remember all that for seven days. Seven days they remember And so you've got all these days in addition to their normal Sabbath rest that they couldn't work. And so it's understandable. It's not that they were lazy. It's not that they weren't committed to the work. But there were a number of things that came up that didn't allow them to do the work that they had expected. And not only that, as we look at verse 3, we have this set of rhetorical questions. Who among you saw this temple in its former glory? The indication is that even though it's been 70 years since the first temple was destroyed, There were enough people who saw the former temple to remember what it looked like, to remember how splendorous, glorious, and magnificent it was. And here's my guess about what happened. My guess is this, that some of those people who saw the original temple, not not meaning any harm on their own, but they looked around and they said, gosh, man, this, this just doesn't look like the last one. Man, if you could have seen the last temple, you would see how beautiful it was. And pretty soon they become discouraged and disheartened because this new temple is nothing like the old one. They don't have the gold to build. They don't have the cedar planks to build. And so they're left with what looks like a shack compared to the last one. And pretty soon the younger generation, who's never even seen the previous temple, begins to think, well, gosh, if if we can't build God the best, certainly deserves the best, maybe we should just quit. It's not worth it, is it? Maybe we should just quit. The people are discouraged, and so God sends Haggai, and he he encourages them. Here's what I thought about a lot this week. There's a number of sources of discouragement in our lives, and 
Um, they can come from all different sources, but here's what I think is the number one source of discouragement in our lives, and that's comparison. When we compare ourselves to something, someone, or even, in this case, a previous experience, we begin to be discouraged. We've all experienced that. Uh, many of you have studied in history in college and maybe in um, high school, you studied the Great Awakenings. 1730s, we had the first Great Awakening in America, a time when people returned to God. They returned to their life. In 1730, you have guys like George Whitfield, James Davenport, Jonathan Edwards, who under their preaching, under their teaching and leadership, a nation was transformed to come back and follow God, follow Jesus Christ as their leader. And then a few years later, in the late 1700s, early 1800s, you had men like D.L. Moody come on the scene. And they start preaching and teaching, and, and they're there, and you have a second great awakening. And it's through D.L. Moody's influence that in the late 1800s, you have guys like Billy Sunday who come on the scene, and we see another great awakening. Many would argue that there was another one in the 1960s, a fifth great awakening that took place with the start of the Billy Graham Crusades and, and the Jesus Movement. But there was this fifth great awakening, and as people look at that, they look at the history, and they look at our current state as a nation, recognizing desperately that there's a need for people to return to God, to connect with Him in a very personal way, they set out to recreate those great awakenings. If it could just be like that, if we could just make it like that. And so they try to recreate it the exact same way that it happened before, and what they don't realize is that God is not bound to His previous patterns. Yes, God moved that way in the past, but that doesn't mean he's going to move the exact same way in the present. And so they find themselves discouraged because, well, we're trying the crusades, we're trying the fiery preaching, we're trying the sinners in the hands of an angry God, and nothing seems to be stirring the people. Yet they're not paying attention to their current circumstance because it's different. The people in Haggai's day didn't realize that their circumstance was much different than the circumstance when Solomon first built the temple. That was a time of prosperity. That was a time when the kingdom had expanded beyond uh, what, it, what it ever would be again. The nation of Israel was at its pinnacle. It was a wonderful time to build a temple. And now here they are just returning from exile. Their nation is still spread out and destroyed. And they're doing the best they can with what they have. Yet they're discouraged because it doesn't quite look like what it did in the past. I think we've all been there personally as well. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life when I look at my current walk with the Lord and I think, man, when I was at youth camp, I was up here. When I went to that retreat, when I went to that conference, when I went to that seminar, I was up here. And now it just feels like I've come back down here. If I could just go back to that same conference next year, then I'm sure that I could come up here again. And we find ourselves, if, if I could just have the same sort of quiet time, I'm just going to pull out this formula for a quiet time that I was using two years ago and apply that again, then I'll feel the same way. But God's not bound by a formula. God wants to work in new ways. We have to pay attention to what he's doing now. And we also have to be careful that we don't compare where we are now to our past because it can be discouraging at times. We have to understand that God wants us to continue to look ahead. And I think we can even see that sometimes as a church. Some of you in this room were here uh, when we were just eight families meeting in a portable building at Hill Country Bible Church, Austin. 
we were driving 30 to 45 minutes to get to church every Sunday, and then we'd go and we'd sit in a portable building for about an hour and a half, and we would just talk about, hey, who are you reaching that's far from God? far from God. How can we pray for them? How's it going? Did you share the gospel with them this week? Have you shared your testimony with them? And some of us look back on that time and we think, if we could just go back there, if we could just recreate that and do that again, then things would be right. We long for those days. Some of you joined us right after we launched. September of 2013, we were just 45 people getting together on a Sunday morning, and you think, wow, if we could just go back to that, Sometimes in the summertime, we do go back to that. Uh, But you think, if we could just go back, we were so tight. I knew everybody. I knew what was happening in everyone's life. I just want to go back to that. Can't we just go back to that? It was so much better. And some of you joined us in September when we hit a major growth spurt. God really blessed us, and we saw a lot of new people connect with River Rock Bible Church and get on board with the mission and vision. And your thought is, man, it's so different, even just in nine months. If we could just go back to when I first got here, that would be great. And what we don't realize is that it's that comparison, as Mark Twain said, comparison kills joy. Love Mark Twain. He's one of my favorite authors I love his wit. I love everything he writes. But he said, comparison kills joy. And I have a good friend who says this, comparison is the killer of servants. Comparison kills servants. When you start to compare yourself to someone else, why can't I be like them? Why can't we be like that church down the road or even to your own past? Why can't I be like I was back then? Why isn't God working the same way now as he did back then? And we begin to compare ourselves. It kills our joy, and it kills our service. We stop working. We start thinking, you know, God, I shared the gospel this way in the past, and 10 people trusted Christ. I've shared the gospel this way 100 times and haven't seen anybody come to Christ. Why aren't you working the same way that you worked before? I should just give up. But God says, no, I want you to persevere. I want you to overcome that discouragement. And so he sends Haggai. So we have this this understanding that if we will just continue, if we will consider our ways, put your heart on the path as we saw last week, consider your ways, and think about where God is leading you. Am I heading down a road that's leading me towards God or away from God? There's nothing wrong with, as we said last week, evaluate your past, but be honest about your future. As you look at your past, be honest. Is it leading you towards God or away from him? But don't sit and be caught up in the thinking that it was better then and it'll never be that way again. Because that's a lie. God wants it to be better. And if we will follow his path, if we will consider his way and follow his path, then we will experience his salvation in a way like we never have before. In a new and fresh way. So he continues on. In verse 4, he says this. Even so, listen to this. Be strong, Zerubbabel. This is the Lord's declaration. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land. This is the Lord's declaration. Work, for I am with you. The declaration of the Lord of hosts. This is the promise I made when you came out of Egypt. My spirit is present among you. Do not be afraid. Three times in just a few short sentences, he says, be strong, be strong. Be strong. His encouragement is for us to be strong. We must continually be strong in the Lord. He's offering some words of encouragement. God knows that the people are discouraged. They're discouraged because they're making this comparison. And now he says, I'm going to tell you how to overcome that, con- that discouragement. I'm going to tell you how to overcome that. He says, 
cling to my empowering presence. If we're going to overcome our discouragement, we have to cling to God's empowering presence. We have to rely on God's empowering presence in our lives. Three times he uses that phrase, be strong. It emphasizes the necessity and the urgency with which they're to complete the work that God has laid out for them. The building of the temple, the building of God's home. And then he just gives this simple command, one word, work. You do the work. How many times in our walk do we sit back and think, oh, if I just pray and do these small things over here, then God will do the work. Meanwhile, God is saying, no, I need you to step up and participate in the work that I am doing. God wants us to participate in the work that he's doing, but not in our own strength, not in our own strength, in his strength. He says, work because I am with you. Work because I am with you, because my presence is there. And then he, remember, uh, he, he calls them back to thinking about when they first came out of Egypt. We just talked about how just a few days before, two days before, five days before, they had just finished celebrating the Feast of Booth, remembering the time that God was with them as they came out of Egypt. And God points them back to that and says, hey, don't forget, I was with you when you came out of Egypt. No, I may not work the same way again. I may not part a Red Sea. I may not show up to you as a, as a cloud or as a pillar of fire but I am still present with you. I am still present with you, and I want to be present with you in new and meaningful ways. They were not to rely on their own strength. God says, I am with you. My spirit will be with you. And what I love about these phrases is that we see them repeated almost verbatim in the New Testament. When Jesus approaches his disciples after his resurrection, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Surely I am with you even to the very end of the age. I am with you is his promise. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He promises his spirit. You can go to John 14. He promises his spirit will be with us. The same promise that God made in the Old Testament. The people in Haggai's day had the job of building the temple. Our job is much greater than that. Our job is not to build a temple, but to build a kingdom. We're to build God's kingdom, and the way that happens is by sharing the gospel. Our vision at River Rock Bible Church is to go into our community and allow every man, woman, and child repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. When we do that, as we're faithful with that, we believe that God will build his kingdom if we are faithful and work, if we are strong and not afraid, but we work. We do the work that God has called us to of reaching every man, woman, and child. We must not be afraid. We must be strong, faithfully doing the work, the work that God has given us to do in his strength, in his strength knowing that he is present with us. Knowing that he is present with us. Let's continue on looking at verse 6. For the Lord of hosts says this, Once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all nations will come and fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver and gold belong to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of hosts. 
The final glory of this house will be greater than the first, says the Lord of hosts. I will provide peace in this place. This is the declaration of the Lord of hosts. Again, over and over and over again, we have this promise of greater glory. God says, I know it doesn't look like much now, but when my presence fills this place, it's going to be even greater. Don't worry about the gold and silver. I own everything. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So the psalmist tells us. He says, look, I can take care of the gold and silver. You don't worry about that. Just be faithful with what I've called you to do. Just be faithful with what I've called you to do. Earlier, they were making comparisons to the first temple. They were trying to relive their glory days, the high days of the nation of Israel. And those were the good old days. Yet God says this. God says, I want you to know that your glory days are ahead of you and not behind you. Your glory days are ahead of you and not behind you if, if you will do the work, if you will follow me and obey my commands. I will fill this temple with my glory and it will be even better than it was before. It will be more magnificent than it was before. We have a, a couple phrases here that we're going to talk about in just a second. But I think, as I think about this, I think about reliving the glory days. I don't know what your experience was like in high school, but it seemed like every year, all four years of high school, um, I only did four, not five, uh, only four years of high school, but it seemed like there was always those, that one or two guys that graduated the year before, but they never left. You know, they, maybe they were star athletes and they had the, the uh, semifinal, state semifinal patch on their letter jacket, and they would show up at every football game with their letter jacket on. 1995. Bro, it's 1998. You need to move on, bud. And they would show up with their letter jacket, and all they would talk about are the, the good old days. Back when I was in high school, they would sit outside the school, and they would wait for people to come out, and the freshmen have no clue who they are. The sophomores have no clue who they are, but they're still hanging out around the high school. They just can't move on. And before you know it, they're this 40-year-old guy, 1973, wearing his letter jacket because he still remembers the good old days the glory days, and he can't move beyond it. He's so focused on the past that he can't see what's taking place right around him, and he can't see that something even better lies ahead of him. So God tells his people, he says, look, I know that in the past it was good, but I've got something even better in store if you will just do the work, if you will just rely on my strength, rely on my presence. Stop comparing yourself to, to yourselves, to other people around you to a previous time, and do the work, and I will fill it with my presence. So we have this phrase, the shaking of the nations. This is something, a phrase that's used throughout the Old Testament. We see it uh, when, we, when we think about the plagues, as we already mentioned. We think about the Red Sea. God shook the nation of Egypt and allowed the people of Israel to go free. We see it again with the Babylonians as they come in and they conquer Israel. God shakes the nation. It's talking about political unrest. We're going to see this again when we get to the end of chapter 2 in a few weeks. But God continues to shake the nations. God allows the Babylonians to be conquered by the Persians. And guess what the Persians do? The Persians say, hey, guess what? We want to give you gold. We want to give you silver from our own treasury. And we want to send it to Jerusalem so you can rebuild your temple. The gold is mine. The silver is mine. Don't worry about it. I've got it taken care of. Do the work. Do the work. Rely on my power. Rely on my presence. And then God shakes the nations again, and the Greeks conquer the Persians. 
And then he shakes the nations again, and the Greeks are conquered by the Romans, paving the way for the perfect time in the history of the world for the Messiah to be born. After much, most of the known world at the time was speaking Greek, the Romans had come in and they had laid the roads, making travel easier. Jesus is born, dies on the cross for our sins, and rises from the dead, and his disciples are able to travel easily and communicate easily with people all over the world and share the gospel with them. God shook the nations to accomplish his purpose because God is sovereign and he always accomplishes his purpose. Now, there's only one other time, there's only one time in the New Testament that this phrase is used, that the book of Haggai is quoted, and that comes in Hebrews chapter 12. It says this, starting in verse 26, he says, His voice shook the earth at that time, but now he promised, yet once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also heaven. This expression, yet once more, indicates the removal of what can be shaken, that is, created things so that what is not shaken might remain. And here's the good part. Here's God's promise to us. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us hold on to grace. By it, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe, for God is a consuming fire. God is pointing us to the fact that when Christ returns again and he sits in the temple, it's going to shake the nations unlike anything we've ever seen. Yet we, as believers in Jesus Christ, have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. No matter who is voted into power or voted out of power, no matter what wars or battles take place, we know, we can cling to the fact that by the grace of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, we've received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And our responsibility, the kingdom that we are to be building, is with that message of Jesus Christ. We're to be preparing ourselves and preparing others for the day when the heavens and the earth are shaken and Christ comes again. That is our call. That is the kingdom that we build through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He also talks about his future glory, how he plans to fill the temple. The final glory of this house will be greater than the first, says the Lord of hosts. And I will provide peace in this place. The future greater that he talks about, the future glory that he talks about will be greater Because it's not a material glory. See, the Israelites were once again focused on the material. How things looked on the outside. What was the appearance like? Yet God says, no, I want you to focus on the spiritual. I'm going to fill this place with my glory. What he's talking about there, some of you may recognize this phrase, is the Shekinah glory. Where God's presence literally comes down and rests on a place. We see it all throughout the Old Testament. God fills a place. And his glory is all around it. Shekinah, it means dwelling. It means resting. God says, I'm going to fill this place. I'm going to dwell in this new temple. If you will only obey and do the work. And what I love, as we pointed to earlier, Jesus promises us the Holy Spirit. We know that ultimately the Shekinah glory that comes, we can read about it in Ezekiel 43, where we read about the end times where we're promised that the spirit of the Lord, the presence of the Lord, the glory of the Lord will fill the temple and will remain there forever. I believe that's direct reference to Jesus Christ and his reigning on the throne as the king of kings. Yet we understand as believers that we have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.19 
Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God? You are not your own. You are bought at a price. We have the Shekinah glory within us. God's Holy Spirit that dwells with us at all times, empowering us, reminding us that what's ahead is way better than what's behind you. As I thought about this this past week, there's a song that kept jumping in my head. As I thought about the glory days, uh, I couldn't help but think of the boss, Bruce Springsteen, right? 1985, the glory days. I'm, what's ironic is that even though he's still great, amazing performer, I'm sure the 80s were his glory days. But he sings this song, The Glory Days, and if you've ever listened to it, it's a pretty upbeat song. It's pretty catchy. But there's something about it, if you really listen to the words, it's kind of a sad song. Because he talks about these two people who all they can talk about is when they were in high school and they were this great pitcher. Or how they used to be, you know, this gorgeous woman before she had kids and got divorced and now her life's not what it once was. She's not the popular girl anymore. And it's all about how all they talk about are the glory days, how the best days are behind them and their life's sad. If you listen to it. And then at the very end, he says this. The very last verse of the song. He says, yeah, sitting back trying to recapture a little of the glory. Well, time slips away and leaves you with nothing, mister, but boring stories of glory days. They'll pass you by. My question is, is that you? Is that you as you consider your ways? Are you sitting around comparing yourself to what once was, to where you once were in your walk with the Lord? thinking it's never going to be as good again, so why should I even try? Our church will never be like this other church I was a part of. Our church will never be like it was 10 years ago. Our church will never be like this church down the road, so we may as well just continue with the status quo. No. God says, my best is yet to come if you will do the work in the strength that I provide. If you will rely on my presence, stop comparing yourselves to your past. Look ahead to what's coming. Rely on my power. Rely on my presence in your lives and work. What is the work that God has given us to do? If we're to see his glory, what would it look like? What would it look like for God's glory to dwell in River Rock Bible Church? And I don't mean Sunday morning service. Because we don't go to church, we are the church, right? Everybody say that. We don't go to church, we are the church. Let's say it together. We don't go to church, we are the church. So what would it look like for God's Shekinah glory to rest on this place, for people to come and come to one of our community groups or come to a Sunday morning service or to come to one of our activities and say, wow, I don't know what this is, but God is here. I've never experienced this before. I don't know what this is, but God is here. What is the work that God has called us to? That work is the sharing of the gospel. If we're going to reach every man, woman, and child, it's going to take every man, woman, and child. And there are going to be times when we share the gospel 100, 200, 1,000 times before we see one person trust Christ. And we're going to wonder why it's not working the way it did in the past. We have to continue on. We have to do the work, rely on God's presence, and trust that he will honor the work that that we're doing and that he wants to fill us as individuals and as a body with his glory. That's his desire. He wants us to experience him in the fullness of his glory. 
In order to do that, we must continue to do the work. Rely on his presence. Look ahead and not behind. Tune in to what God is doing. Because the glory days are ahead of us. The glory days are ahead of us. Imagine what it will be like when we begin to see more and more men, women, and children putting their trust in Jesus Christ. And God the Father is glorified as this city is reached for him. At this time in your bulletin, if you'll look, you'll see there's a space there that says take two. And what we like to do at this point in our service is just give you an opportunity to respond to what God is saying. This is your chance to to say, here's what God said to me today. And then right below that, it says, I will. Just write a little statement that says, I will do this. Because of what God said to me, I will do this. And for some of you, Your I will statement may be that I will take the prayer challenge. We passed these out a few weeks ago. Everyone should have gotten one in their bulletin again this week. If you don't have one, there's some in the back. Uh, And what this is, it's just a five-minute prayer challenge. We're challenging each person here for two minutes, first two minutes, to pray for the people that you know who are far from God. Pray that God would give you boldness and opportunity to share the gospel, and then pray that they would respond. Pray that their hearts would be softened and they would respond. For the second two minutes, we're asking you to pray for the people in your community group. If you're not in a community group, what's wrong with you? We talk about community groups every week. Get in the community group. Come on. No, if you're not in a community group, then just pray for the people of River Rock Bible Church, that God would give them boldness, that God would give them opportunities. But if you're in a community group, pray specifically by name for the people that are in your group and those that they're reaching who are far from God, that they would have boldness and opportunity and that they would see people turn to Christ. And then in the last minute, we ask that fifth minute that you would pray for the resources of River Rock Bible Church, both human resources, people needed to serve at different events in the community, serve in Sunday mornings, as well as our financial resources. We have a big God-sized vision for what God wants us to do, and it takes resources to do that. It takes the people of God being faithful to say, I will participate in the work that God is doing I will give of my time, talents, and treasures and support that. So we're asking you to pray about those things. And also on here, there's just four little questions to help you consider your ways every day. Put this on your mirror. You can read through it while you're brushing your teeth. You can at least get two minutes done while you brush your teeth. You should brush your teeth at least two minutes a day. That's just (laughs) PSA right there. Um, But you you can get this done just in the time that you look in the mirror each day. So I encourage you to do that. But at this time, I'd like for us to just consider what God is saying to us as we take two. Father, I pray for everyone here this morning, whether it's spiritually or corporately or some other area of their life that they're feeling discouraged. Lord, that you would allow them to look ahead and not behind them, understanding that you have great plans for them plans for them to have a hope and a future. And Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged that the ultimate glory will be the day that your son Jesus Christ returns and he reigns on his throne and the whole earth is filled with his glory, Lord. We pray that you would allow us to participate in the work. Give us the strength. Give us the boldness. Give us the encouragement we need to rely on your power, on your presence, on your spirit being with us as we seek to reach every man, woman, and child in Georgetown and to the ends of the earth, looking forward to the day that we can stand before you 
in the presence of your ultimate glory, unveiled glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.